0: The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening.
1: Hokey rulebooks and ancient stat blocks are no match for a good house rule at your side, kid. You don't believe
0: in Game Mastering, do you?
1: Kid, I've flown from one side of the galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange homebrew. But I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful Game Master controlling everything. There's no mystical dice roll that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and the Dark Times podcast. Hello
0: and welcome back to the Dark Times, a saga edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Besselisk line
1: cook. And I'm Steven, your favorite deadbeat dad from space.
0: (laughs) Two iconic Star Wars characters. Never, never forgotten. My favorite... My favorite Dexter Jetster line is when he says, "Kaminoan cloner.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's like one of my favorite lines in Attack of the Clones. Pretty much anything that comes out of Dex's mouth. I wish, I do wish we got a little bit more of him.
0: Where it gives you, that's why, that's why he's in the Dark Times module, baby, remember? Shh, don't reveal too much. We need that to be a surprise. I love the did, I loved the really uncomfortable close up on his CG face during that scene, right? Like cuz it really zooms in on him,
1: huh? They wanted <laughs> you to see those polygons, man. George George spent a lot of money innovating that technology. Those he were 6 million
0: dollar Stephen, Stephen, those were 6 million dollar polygons. And if they don't gonna appreciate it, every single pore on Dexter's face was hand sculpted by me and God. <laughs> Steven, we have some oh, feedback. George. George, get out. George, get out of here. <laughs> we told you you couldn't come into our studio like this anymore. Come on. God. It's like when your dad's trying to be cool at the at the sleepover.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. You're he's like, like, he's like in there. <laughs> you're like playing I Smash brought, Bros. I he's like popcorn, huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I <out> Kirby, huh? Yeah.
0: Kirby. Huh? Dad, get out. We're talking about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, we have some feedback from last week.
1: All right, let's let's uh, let's take a look.
0: It's from Lil Literalist on Reddit. Uh, long time swissy head of the show.
1: He says... <laughs> swiss-y, oh, swissy. I thought you were like head of the show. Like... Pussy head He's, of the he's show. our friend, but he's not like in charge of... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Star Wars Saga Edition was also my first RPG, at least with rules. I did some free form RPG on forums before that.
1: Oh, I want to I... hear more about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is not a confessional, Steven. You don't need to tell us your sins. <laughs> I ran Swissy for people in my hall during college, and most of them were new to RPGs. They mostly weren't Star Wars nerds as well, though they had all at least seen the original trilogy. But I think that since Swissy was their only option, they learned to appreciate, probably not the system, but they at least enjoyed role playing.
1: Oh, yeah. That's, that's also my experience, playing with that exact kind of people in that exact scenario. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that level five is a great starting level for experienced players. I think that level three is good for new players. At that level, you have three or four feats beyond starting ones and two talents. You're differentiating builds so that characters at the table aren't doing the same things. In regards with the Swissy wiki being perfect, roll a deception check. As one of the more active (laughs) editors, I'm often finding mistakes or editorialized bits.
1: Did I say it was perfect? We said it was like the... Perfect um resource re, like, like index. Index, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah. not like perfect reference. Not a, yeah, reference tool. Yeah, That's what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's a good reference tool for sure. Yeah. On the on the fly. You know, pull up my data pad.
1: Yeah, when you need a reflex defense or an attack bonus.
0: <laughs> I do agree with the core rulebook book being the starting place. When I first started reading though, I started reading cover to cover and got hooked through imagining the possibilities, particularly the species. My three source books would really depend on the type of campaign I'm running. I probably have the era specific guide and then one of the source books that guides the flavor of the campaign, maybe the Force Unleashed or KOTOR for the prestige classes.
1: Yeah, good choices. Steven
0: also quotes us as saying, Disney can't take us down. Let's not tempt fate. Now, Steven, both Stevens, I'm talking to both of you now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Little literalist, we thought we were clear on what we meant by that. We did not necessarily mean the Dark Times podcast. What we did mean was... You, dear listener, and your home game and your home rules and your stories that you craft with the Star Wars metal in the forges of role playing.
1: Oh, yeah. No, the, the mouse can never bust down your door with a squad of, like, tactical copyright <laughs> infringement troopers and stop your game. That's that's what we were talking about. But to let your imagination Whoa. run wild
0: as far as no spoilers for season three of the Bad Batch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the mouse shock troopers. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's obviously nothing is is truly safe from the mouse, especially if if they decide to publish another D20 Star Wars RPG, you know, God willing. But it, no, it's it's you are safe at your table no matter what. That is what we wanted wanted to convey that your your imagination can run wild no matter the the corporate machinations of 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 the mouse. And if they want to ru-
0: if they want to make a new D20 Star Wars RPG, Bob, buddy, Steven and I are here, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Iger, Steven. I'm done the Bob yeah, Iger. I know you're talking Long time listener of the podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, me and Bobby just got coffee, you know, the other day. <laughs> the literalist continues.
0: I'm not really a fan of the CT killer builds. I don't think that's very fun playing alongside them as a player, and I wouldn't want to use them against PCs. since that pretty much destroys a player's enjoyment of an encounter? Now that's a whole episode itself, Stephen, to talk oh, about. Oh yeah.
1: I mean CT, CT killers
0: in kill their place at the table.
1: They're they're brutal. That's for sure. Um I personally I'd use like probably if I were to use one at all, like one one boss in a whole oh, yeah. campaign would would be a CT killer.
0: Yeah.
1: If a player chose to run one, I would give him this look. <laughs> I can't, steven I don't know how to
0: how to translate that into this is an audio format. Yeah, an yeah. Audio medium. Yeah. I don't know how to translate that. Look,
1: I think they can <laughs> guess sound bites. I'm gonna do it real close to the mic, so maybe they can get an idea of my of the. You hear camera. the
0: eyebrows go up, and the. go, go yeah. ahead and Do it again.
1: Yeah. Here. I heard it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> so dumb. I've got my gain up real high, so so hopefully they can hear it.
0: You pull up the CT killer. This is like. This is when the players first hit their prestige class. This is this is my scenario, right? Finally, level twelve. You know, we got our Jedi Knights, you got our level twelve of prestige classes going. And then um, I pull out the C T killer build. It takes a long time, but they they take him out. And then level eighteen, I bring him back. C T killer comes back. The only to be comedically killed by like a, a <laughs> I like ah, the Death Star exploding or something like that. To give that, him that you know? sense of
2: progression or some shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Nice. <laughs> man. Steven, we also got an email from Zoe Krolik. Oh great. Let's let's hear it. Oh man, actually no, it's my turn. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, you wanna read it for us, please? Yeah. Hey Sam and Steven. Keeping those proteins unfolded. <laughs> I I laughed a lot when I read this. I don't remember what he's referencing, if anything.
0: It's us, but I don't remember the context. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I like it without the context It's funny I'm still a bit feverish so like it's It's just making me feel a little loopy just staring at Hey, <laughs> okay, keeping those proteins Unfolded because I, I don't really feel like I am <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Three source books are Scum and Villainy Galaxy of Intrigue and Force Unleashed Campaign Guide I guess Steven and I have similar Swissy tastes winky Emoticon yeah I'd, I'd have to agree Has Sam gotten another burrito raise Lately um I think I blew the Patreon money on like hookers and coke last <laughs> month so probably not I think, in a,
0: I think in a cosmic sort of way I have yeah. <laughs>
1: You know what that's true that's true Sam and I have both had some very positive changes coming our way uh lately which is nice but uh, I'm but in yeah. my
0: new job arc now Steven Yeah actually. yeah the, the
1: new job arc continues with with Sam It's amazing the, the the dark time
0: stride with the new job arcs one after another that's how you knew <laughs> Be careful Icarus we're flying too close to the employment sun that's for fucking sure <laughs> The employment sun Yeah um, He's got, he's like a he's like a temp agency <laughs>
1: Although I like the more meta-focused episodes you've done recently, are you getting back to showcasing force traditions? Perhaps switching it up from time to time. Uh, Zloy, yeah, I mean your suggestion taken to heart. I, we were nearing the end of force traditions to feature, and I didn't really feel like featuring all of them. But I
0: also thought people were sick of it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was
1: like, there's no way like we could get away with doing a fourth force traditions episode. But may, maybe Zloy seems to want it, so. Maybe we could do
0: one that's like specific about one force tradition instead of doing three like we have we've done in the past.
1: You're you are overestimating how much information <laughs> there are on some. No, some of them genuinely have like whole chapters worth of of info, and and yeah. we we could we could do that. It is time to I think dig back into the books and start under things some more like stuff in the books to talk about and not like but Steven,
0: we do so well when we just like take a hit of a joint and be like yeah game mastering is a lot like you know just <laughs> just being out there man
1: yeah well um, we, we actually have a
0: takes a hit of the swissy bong game mastering is just like therapy
1: <laughs> awful uh, yeah it's, it's funny Zoe, we actually have a very very meta episode lined up today <laughs> But that made me laugh when I read this email because I was like, "Oh shit, we were planning on something very meta today." But yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 take a look at at what's what's in the book and, and instead of what we think is in the book, you know. Also, you haven't done a name that NPC or I literally kill you recently. No submissions. I'll send you another one if you're still doing that, Sloy. Yeah, we haven't done one in a while, like since the new year, I think. And um, epic
0: foreshadowing uh, X3.
1: Oh, I'm scared. Now I'm scared. <laughs> There's nothing scarier than Epic Foreshadowing X3. Um
0: Steven, what what disappointment of an episode topic have you brought us today? Because yeah, because it's what, not forced traditions. <laughs> what boring meta crap oh, they're gonna have think, you disguised they're gonna as No,
1: no, no, no. So last week, Sam, we, we didn't record an episode because my audio interface broke and I'm I'm now speaking to you through a new one. Uh, which it sounds great. It sounds better than than the previous one I had. Same model, but but definitely not weird. A busted one, been busted. Yeah, like dead on, on arrival. I was listening to a few other podcasts as I as I often do. You cheater. Yeah, right. Welcome and, home, cheater. It says yeah. like on the <laughs> on the podcast wall. And one of them, uh, I kind of as an aside mentioned a a type of narrative structure called the five room dungeon. And I was like, "Well, this sounds neat. I'm gonna dig into this more." And then I took all the time we had because there was there was no episode to record that week into just researching this topic. And I came back with with quite a lot of notes from a, a whole myriad of sources. Um, the The concept of the five room dungeon is nearly as old as like TTRPGs itself. So I you re, I wasn't able to attribute this to any one specific person or thinker. And there's many many derivatives and and um, branches of this idea as well throughout the the decades. Really, if you Dear listener, happen to know the originator of, of the five-room dungeon. Please let me know, because I, I wasn't able to find out myself.
0: His name was Stephen Five-Room Dungeon.
1: <laughs> Stephen Five-Room Dungeon. <laughs> so a five-room dungeon is, is a structure that you can easily memorize to make up dungeons on the fly. That was how it started. But... Storytellers got a hold of it, modified it, tweaked it, and this is actually a, a structure that can be extrapolated all the way into a whole campaign if you really choose to, or or an encounter, or an adventure, or like I said, even just a, a, a single dungeon. It, it follows a a kind of a short list of storytelling archetypes and archetypal challenges that you can kind of string together that follow a maybe maybe predictable as a word, but at least you know coherent story that. Your players are almost guaranteed to love. You're not going to be doing anything crazy subversive here, but this is a great structure to at least help organize your ideas and see maybe how you should fit them together. Because if you're like me, if you're a game master, you have a lot of great ideas, and you're not. It's not always apparent how to string them together. Remains to be seen. But okay, (laughs) (laughs) it's an organizational tool. Exactly. Storyteller. Exactly. And and these sorts of things have really helped me with my game mastering, not maybe it's impossible to say if they've made my campaigns better, but they've definitely made me a more confident game master. And that is the key to a good campaign. I think
0: it's all confidence, baby. It's confidence (laughs) all the way down. Yeah, no, I get it. Having this sort of structure means you're more confident in your notes and how your adventure is supposed to play out. And that makes you more confident as a game master, which makes you look like a better game master to your players, which is what the podcast is all about. It's not about, The best story, it's about looking like it's the best story.
1: (laughs) No, role playing is a competition and you have to win.
0: (laughs) And baby I'm going for gold. And baby I'm
1: going for gold. Room one, the first room of our five room dungeon, as you might predict, isn't A mud room. (laughs) And throwing me off today. You're really fucking throwing me off. It's fine. (laughs) An entrance and a guardian. There needs to be a reason why your dungeon hasn't been plundered before or why the PCs are the heroes for the job. A guardian or challenge at the entrance is a good justification why the location remains intact. Also, a guardian sets up early action to capture the player interest and energize a session. The guardian and, and just a few ideas of who the guardian is or what the entrance could be. Perhaps the guardian was deliberately placed to keep intruders out. Maybe a golem. A robot. A robot. Or an electric fence. And, you know, do keep in mind, of course, with all of these, a guardian does not necessarily need to be a big guy with a sword. You know, this could very easily be something like an electric fence. Or a stormtrooper. The guardian is not indigenous to the dungeon and is a tough creature or force who's made its lair in room one. The entrance is hazardous and requires special skills and or equipment to bypass. For just as an example, radiation leaks, security clearance, or a wall of fire... Room one is also your opportunity to establish mood and theme for your dungeon or adventure or campaign. So dress it up with care. Sam, could you think of any like star Wars? Like, cause this is going to be very broad, but I did want to bring it back to star Wars with each of these points. You know, wh- what are some good entrances and guardians in star Wars storytelling?
0: I'm glad you asked Stephen, because when you pitched this idea to me, I was like, Oh, there's plenty of star Wars examples of that stuff. And then, as I was looking, I was like, oh, there's not as many as I would have liked. <laughs> but a recent one that comes to mind that I feel like was done really well. Spoilers for the Bad Batch season two. We're on season three now, though, right? No. I feel like we are. No, no. we're still on season two. We're about two. to wrap
1: up season two of Bad Batch.
0: That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Season two, episode five, Entombed, featuring amazing actress Wanda Sykes. <laughs> oh, that's right. It does have Wanda Sykes. <laughs> there's a, the opening room for this sort of uh, this ancient dungeon they're trying to explore has like a puzzle with moving platforms and the platforms that you can actually step on are hidden by these symbols that you can only see through the special key that got them into the dungeon.
1: Yep. And it looks like he also wrote here a, a personal favorite of mine, a, a very early banger uh, in, in the show's run, season one, episode 10 of the Clone Wars "Layer of Grievous.
0: Oh, yeah. So that's the one where Kit Fisto and his apprentice now turned Jedi Knight Track down a Neimoidian. Oh, man. What's his name? It escapes me, but he's one of the big ones.
1: (laughs) Oh, 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 uh. Come on. Uh, Newt Gunray. Newt. I was like Nug. (laughs) Yeah, I was like Nug
0: Gunny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Newt Gunray. They track Newt Gunray down to a planet, enter a castle, and it turns out to be Grievous's lair. Grievous however is not home but I believe new gunner gets away and then Count Dooku's like "Ha ha I've led you to Grievous's lair. What are you going to do, Jedi?" <laughs> and then Kit Fisto's like "Oh, we can ambush General Grievous here."
1: <laughs> Amazing. And um our guardian in there I think obviously I think isn't there literally just a locked door in in this there episode. There's a locked door. Yeah. Grievous
0: also has a pet uh that's a pet Pogwort, yeah. I believe. Oh, it, uh, the, one of the Pogwart. natives of Mustafar. No, a Pogwort.
1: Pogwort? I, I remember you the know, creature. It's a cool one. It's got all sorts yeah. of like robo arms.
0: Rogwort.
1: Rogwort. I was like, it's not a Pogwort.
0: <laughs> yeah, Rogwort.
1: Yeah, and you know, there's there's our entrance and our guardian, a, a creepy uh, castle.
0: General Grievous kept a Rogwart named Gore as a pet.
1: Oh, yeah, because when it <laughs> is killed, he goes like, Gore. Or some shit.
0: <laughs> Grievous
1: mourns the death of his pet. Weird that he would care.
0: Yeah, well, it's like his house, though. Like That's true. You wouldn't like it if I came into your house and killed your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you're a general or not. Like,
1: Jedi Knights, man, I'm telling you.
0: Like a fucking infestation. <laughs> now there are two of them.
1: <laughs> so, room one, you have it. A locked door with a guy in front of it. That's your. That's easy, easy peasy. Maybe in a narrative sense, perhaps the entrance is a walled city.
0: Perhaps the entrance is a blockade to a planet.
1: Yes, indeed. The Guardian being, well, the blockade itself. The guy in front of the wall or the wall. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think the most important part of this I want to emphasize is that, you know, there's a reason why the PCs are the heroes for this job. There's a reason why someone hasn't come over and unlocked this entrance and toppled over the Guardian yet. There has to be something specific about it to your players, why they hold the key, either literally or proverbially, to be here, to get in there, to whatever you decide is on the other side of the entrance.
0: Well, plot hook: McGuffin is inside, Stephen, and I need to get him or exactly. my planet's going to die.
1: Which brings us to Room 2. The Puzzle or Roleplay Challenge The PCs are victorious over the challenge of the first room and are now presented with a trial that cannot be solved with steel. This keeps problem solvers in your group happy and breaks the action up for good pacing. Make Room 2 a puzzle, skill-based, or roleplay encounter if possible. Room 2 should shine the limelight on different PCs than Room 1, change the gameplay up, and offer variety between the challenge at the entrance and the challenge at the end. Note, if Room 1 was this type of encounter, then feel free to make Room 2 combat-oriented. Room 2 should allow for multiple solutions to prevent the game from stalling. Perhaps a dirt floor with poisonous snakes that slither out of the way to avoid open flame. A few might follow at a distance and strike later. The PCs might convince a bouncer to let them in without confiscating their weapons. That's a very Swissy one right there, I think. Once you've figured out what room two is, try to plant one or more clues in room one about potential solutions. And, ha, uh, hey, see you, here you go. The best part about this room structure is that you can retroactively add foreshadowing to make it seem like you knew your shit like the back of your fucking hand the whole time. <laughs> this ties the adventure together a little tighter, will delight the problem solvers, and can be a backup for you if your players get stuck. I like this, Steven. Thank you. The previous examples Sam had are, are both excellent, great places to draw from for puzzles or, or role-playing challenges. Entombed was very much a puzzle. They had to use that, like, light, that key light, thing, a that of key times, thing yeah. like, more than once. Like, oh, I remember my favorite part. One of my favorite puzzles in that episode was when they saw the tracks on the ceiling yeah. and figured that sound found out they had to rotate the chamber to continue on. Really, oh, really so cool. cool. Yeah. And layer of Grievous, I think there's like a trap in every other scene in that episode. Yeah,
0: Grievous fucking kills like two storm, like two clone troopers with like a trap door. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Also, Steven, another example from that Entombed episode is the local creature that lives on the planet now and makes its home inside that temple. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so that's a con. That's your combat
1: instead. Pretty cool. Uh, It looks like you also wrote down a favorite of mine here. The uh, the uh, Andor Aldani arc.
0: Well, you know, if you got to dress up like an Imperial for any reason, I mean, always give your players a reason to dress up like an
1: Imperial. (laughs) Seriously, there's nothing more Star Wars than dressing up like an Imperial. But Sam, I wasn't even thinking about that. That's a great arc of Andor because there's not only challenges that have to be confronted and solved against the Empire. There's also internal challenges and struggles that have to be conquered between Andor and his, his, I almost said co-workers, but his his (laughs) comrades. I'm sure that's what he would call them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. His his comrades. Um, There's a whole you recall well. There's an intricate dynamic, a whole conflict. There's all sorts of different motivations for why each of these people are there and how they conflict and overlap and the doubt and the seeds of being sown of of mistrust when they find out that Andor is just there to make a buck. But then it turns out half of them are just there to make a buck anyway. It's it's really really good shit, and that itself is the puzzle, right? I mean, learning how to get along just with. Within the party, if you can, you know, swing that without making it unfun or maybe maybe a difficult but important, you know, NPC, that's a great challenge of its own, especially as a role playing challenge. I think that's
0: interesting. It's definitely a separate conversation to talk about party members having different motivations and bashing heads on different topics and subjects. It's definitely something that I wouldn't recommend for first time players. No, but no, it, no, If your players are pro role players at this point, you know then absolutely they could be like, oh, yeah, my character is secretly a Sith Acolyte or secretly a member of the ISB or, or something like that. And, oh,
1: they want the treasure for themselves. They don't care about saving the hostages. Absolutely. Room three, my personal favorite, the trick or the setback. This is one that I employ a lot. The purpose of this room, and again, we're getting real liberal about what a room is here. A room can be any size and contain anything in your imagination. The purpose of this room is to build tension. Do this using a trick, trap, or setback. For example, after defeating a tough monster and the players think they finally found the treasure and achieved their goal, they learn they've been tricked and the room is a false crypt. This is also where your classic D&D mimic would go. I mean, if, if that wasn't obvious. Absolutely. Depending on your game's system, use this room to cater to any player or character types not yet served by the first two areas. Alternatively, give your group a double dose of gameplay that they enjoy the most such as more combat or more role-playing. For example, say the PCs rescue several prisoners or hostages. However, the victims might be enemies in disguise, are booby-trapped, or create a dilemma as they plead to be escorted back to safety immediately. All very good twists to put on the classic saving the hostages. Enemies in disguise was not one I had considered, and quite cruel. I like it a lot. That's a good one. It is. And then booby-trapped, like hostages with like bombs strapped to him like oh that's yeah. that's hardcore man that's fucking real shit that's
0: some i could see uh what's his fucking name the the blue guy
1: oh oh my god sin you narrowed it down beautifully
0: <laughs> Both, either of them the bounty hunter one or the chiss one <laughs>
1: Thrawn? Thrawn could do that I could see Thrawn doing it. It's a that. little cruel for Thrawn
0: Well then that's why, uh, what's his name? The bounty hunter with the long hat
1: Oh, Cad Bane. Cad, Cad Bane, Bane would definitely do this. Yeah, 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 yeah Oh, please don't revoke my Star Wars badge No, you're okay, you're okay Yeah, Thrawn, Thron has like several monologues about the difference between like a barbarian and a warlord like Thrawn's red
0: sun zoo's the art of war
1: Yeah an unexpected collapse structure blocks part of an area, The debris is dangerous and blocks nothing of importance. Another trap or a new threat. Perhaps the room contains a one-way exit. The PCs must return and deal with rooms one and two again. A teleport trap, one-way door, two thousand foot waterslide trap. <laughs> classic Goonies. The classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, really Goonies moment here. I had to include that in my notes because it was something I saw on on one website, and I was like wow, 2000 foot water slide trap. Like you must've felt really good in that That's one That's some down. first
0: edition D and D shit right there. <laughs> <It really is.
1: laughs> like we, <whee! laughs> I did want to say, I, I compiled these notes from a vast variety of sources, including other podcasts and other websites, but kind of the, the meat of this episode came from roleplaying tips.com. Um, you can only imagine what they do over there. <laughs>
0: If only if only there was some way to tell us what they actually do there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think these were written up by, let's see, are these attributed to like an author? Let me see here. No, but that's okay. <laughs> Perhaps the PCs finally find the MacGuffin required to defeat the villain, but the MacGuffin is broken, cursed, or has parts missing, and clues reveal a solution lies ahead. This is so like. Break up the MacGuffin into pieces. The Sith holocron the party wanted or Jedi holocron, what have you. Literally just slough a fucking couple chunks off. Leave a note that says, I OU holocron <laughs> chunks and an arrow pointing further down the dungeon to go get them. Come on. Or the classic thing. And I try to avoid this just because I feel like with the way like, I don't know, maybe how like AAA video games can be. I try yeah. not to center a whole campaign on like gathering the dragon balls so to speak it's it's yeah. just a little tired for me if that's your campaign that's awesome it's easy to do we did that in pathfinder and it was fucking sick and it was a little bit more involved than getting the six gems bentley bear and then bringing them to the yeah the baby it was the infinity Shrine. stones yeah yeah <laughs> the
0: baby bear infinity stones
1: yeah exactly it's i i try to avoid doing an infinity stones dragon balls whenever i can with proper care and you know maybe a little subversion and just you know with a good head on your GM's shoulders, um it it's it's you can do that, it's fine. Just try to hide it if I'm at your table. <laughs> <laughs> and believing the object of the quest now laying within easy reach, an NPC companion can turn traitor and betray the PCs. We love NPC traders. In fact, they're way better than PC traders, or at least way easier to pull off without hurting someone's feelings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> without making it personal.
1: The one time I ran a game like that, I was so excited. And, you know, me and the trader PC were, were so, so, so excited. And then when the, the like, betrayal was finally revealed, everyone was like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of sad.
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry, Stephen.
1: Oh, it's fine. I just, you know, I, I learned what I would do differently next time and, and all that shit. And it, it is still something I want to explore, but it's just like. This is like my second campaign ever, too. Yeah. So I was like, I was not ready to to try something so advanced. But yeah, it was like.
0: I like uh, we did. We did. Uh, if if a player wants to stop playing a character, maybe and wants to try a different character out. That's always a good excuse to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That the, the smuggler actually sold you out to the Empire now. And now that's an NPC and your player character, the, the new that player has a new character who's like trying to get revenge on the smuggler.
1: Oh, yeah. Pull Lando.
0: Pull Lando. <laughs> That's good. But the Lando was like, except Lando was there the whole time and then yeah. he just betrays them in the middle of the second movie.
1: <laughs> so good. Another potential payoff for room three is to weaken the PCs as a build up to the dramatic struggle in room four. This is what I do in my room three. You're getting knocked one down step on the condition track. That's it. Like I always have very on level threats, or at least I try to. <laughs> <laughs> I follow the, the um, encounter design liturgy that we've built up here for Swiss. I, I do things very much by the book. I like to have very calculated, very fair threats. And my players have faith in me knowing that everything is, is above water, so to speak, but you can add so much dramatic tension in the minds of the players. If you just knock them down one step on the condition track or really wear down their HP a little bit, if if you don't want to go down the full condition track situation, but yes, Before and Sam, if Sam, you probably think back to zero distance. If you run through the encounters you remember, you'll probably notice that before a main (laughs) engagement, there was always a hazard or some sort of threat that was targeting your condition track right before you went in.
0: Uh a good example I remember, Steven, is when you ran the it was the post-game session that we did for Wyvern Squadron. Yes. Where everyone had checked their guns in at the door. (laughs) And so (laughs) no one had their weapons when the combat broke out
1: yes yeah Uh, and then i any player who is paying attention or has played enough campaigns whenever there's weapon checking i'm always scared of like them turning to me and being like really like okay buddy we'll play along sure i'll put my gun in the box
0: i love the classic stealth check to try and hide your weapon and it's like oh you failed
1: yeah (laughs) weapon concealment's always fun but yeah, I, I liked that because I didn't want you guys to not have weapons for the encounter, but I did want you to spend at least a couple turns getting your asses over to the closet where the weapons were, digging them out of, of the, the coat check essentially, and then, you know, reloading them, using them, all that stuff. And a good example I found, uh this this one was worth worth speaking on because I think it's I think there's probably two different perspectives you could have on this. For example, if room 4 contains a mummy whose secret weakness is fire, then make room 3 a troll lair or another creature susceptible to fire. So the PCs might be tempted to burn off all their fire magic, oil, and other flammable resources. This would turn a plain old troll battle into a gotcha once the PCs hit room 4 and realize they are out of fire resources. I like that. That's cool. It's clever. I like it. My hesitations about it are, I don't like repetition all that much especially if yeah. we are only working with five rooms yeah. um I I don't like gotchas you don't like gotchas I am not. I don't think gotchas are, are a good thing to go like mm, ha, gotcha as a game master you guys
0: you guys didn't allocate your resources correctly
1: so uh, yeah you did
0: the smart thing <laughs> you and you lose uh, <laughs> use them all in that
1: troll and guess what I just chose uh, another creature with the same weakness and and obviously you can go either way on this I it is a good idea I just don't think it's a perfect idea. I'd be interested to hear what others have to say about this.
0: I don't think this can translate well to Saga Edition.
1: And I think you're right, because weaknesses aren't really that big of a
0: deal in Saga. I mean, the worst case scenario is, oh, you guys used more ammo than usual.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true.
0: <laughs> Which isn't really an issue either, most of the time. No, definitely not. Yeah, I'm sure there's some way you could make it happen. Definitely. Like, oh, oh your weapons are all submerged. This is a water room. And so you go into the next oh, combat the your weapons room. are all like, I know, right? The water classic water room It's this is where that the, those uh, circus performers practice before going to perform before Palpatine, <laughs> the fucking water room. And then the fourth room is like, oh, here's the boss fight. But, you know, you guys got to take a few rounds to to unjam your weapons of water, <laughs> you know?
1: And of course, don't forget to dress up room three with your theme elements. And by that, we mean the themes you introduced at the start of Room 1. I'm talking about if you are in a derelict, rusting ship on a junkyard world, be sure to throw in something really special, like maybe a droid golem in Room 3. Or, you know, radiation if you're in a underwater Mon Calamari temple and have some cool elements related to ocean life, like maybe a um, giant seahorse. <laughs>
0: Giant seahorse. How, where, why the fuck has it been my whole life? I was thinking, like, um, maybe just a just a, a hallway full of coral.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, a, like a, maybe the room's made up of shell, big shell, sharp, sharp shell room, just calcium carbonate room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even you know, so the Bad Batch episode. I think of that again. The twist in that episode (spoiler alert) is that oh, this temple, this tomb, you're trying to get the treasure out of is actually a giant machine. Yes.
1: Yeah. That was something I was not expecting at all from the bad batch, especially, but star Wars overall, but just a big ancient, like quad Mecca, like so cool. Planet killer Mech. I loved. Yeah, it. That was so unique. So, so cool.
0: It's very, very saga edition.
1: Very much. So, you know, I mean, we say it every week, but a, hey, Are you short on Swissy encounter ideas lately? (laughs) Um, Spin up season two of Bad Batch. They give you at least six every episode. Uh, And then I also
0: included here as an example. Remember Yoda's weird arc in the Clone Wars season six, where I felt where, first of all, one R2-D2 goes with them. I'm I'm pretty sure that whole arc was just to sell that Yoda Starfighter Lego with R2. Yes, it was.
1: And yes, you're right.
0: (laughs) Yoda ends up fighting a weird like Gollum fucked up version of himself.
1: Dark Yoda. And also
0: Qui-Gon's voice is there.
1: Yeah. Dark Yoda (laughs) on the nose, but a good twist. You know, it it counts for, for this room here. It's a good example. (laughs) And the, I can't believe I only just thought of this now. I I can't believe why it took me so long to think of it. Room three trick or setback, the trash compactor.
0: Oh yeah. Something touched my leg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Our party just barely escapes the detention block Bravely dives down a garbage chute. Where do they end up? Trapped in a room with a weird fucked up creature, a bunch of garbage, gross water, and enclosing walls.
0: <laughs> and their only help? An a NPC droid who's absolutely useless?
1: Yep. <laughs> That's your room That's three right good. there. In fact, the tension block's a good room too. And... What's our room one for the Death Star encounter? Like, just... <gasps> Roll, a role-playing encounter? Trying to
0: sneak around uh, as uh, dressed up as Imperial?
1: Yep. Yep. Oh, my God, Steven. Room one is sneaking around dressed up as Stormtroopers. Ro- room two is failing the role-play challenge. And- <laughs> We're fine! Yeah. Well, how are you? <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Probably still the best spoken line in Star Wars, I think. At least for, for comedy. Damn it, Steven. What? George Lucas is a fucking hack. <laughs> I always knew
0: it. It's just a five room structure again and again, every single time. You know,
1: George never hides that he is very (laughs) much adapting like classic hard, like hard coded story elements into he's he's a huge hero's journey teat sucker, which is fine because we all are whether we know it or not. But what then, Stephen? What if when the teat, the teat <laughs> sours, then what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to address what happens when the teat sours on the podcast. Okay? <laughs> but yeah. And then room three is our trash compactor. Oh, I should have just set this up like the Death Star uh, encounter from New Hope. That would have been too way late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we we talk about that encounter so much. It's I, true. It's, it's fine that we came into it late this
1: time. Yeah. Room four, the climax, the big battle or conflict. This room is the big show. It's the final combat or conflict encounter of the dungeon. Use all the tactics you can summon to make this encounter memorable and entertaining. This is uh, just a little side note here. If you have a map that has like changing elements, like maybe uh, parts that slide or cover that comes up or comes down or an ever expanding lava pool, whatever you have, any sort of dynamic map element. First of all, if you don't have it, get one. Second of all, if you do have it, this is the room you use it in. Because that Absolutely. is when you want the memorable encounter. Trains, your train encounter goes here. I love train encounters. I'm fucking upset. I can't stop running campaigns with train encounters. Please help me. Um, <laughs> they go here. As always, gen- oh, that's I didn't even, I didn't even read my own goddamn notes. Second point right here. Always generate interesting terrain that will impact the battle. God damn it, Steve. <laughs> Start or end with role play. Maybe the bad guy needs to stall for time to let PC buffs wear out, wait time for help to arrive, or stir himself into a rage. Perhaps the com- that's that last point's for your Sith Lord, that, right there. That, that's what that's what that's what the monologuing is for, for summoning rage. Perhaps the combat ends <laughs> with the bad guy bleeding to death and a few short words can be exchanged, or there are helpless minions or prisoners to roleplay with once the threat is dealt with. Give the bad guy unexpected powers, abilities, or equipment. Everyone knows the Sith Lord's gonna bust out Force Lightning. Even if they haven't played Swissy before, they know that that's what your big bad's going to do. Try to throw something in there new, unexpected. Maybe he has. Maybe take a Sith Alchemy Bend and he has a crazy fucked up gooey like slime xenomorph that he fuses into for a second phase. Like, come on. <laughs> I like that. That's really cool. Right? I was
0: gonna say maybe he's got some some cool droids. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he has a cool droid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he pulls out the ATAT man.
1: That's always cool. Yeah, there you go. ATAT blows the ceiling off of the the encounter room and starts shooting at the PCs. That's some force leash shit right there.
0: There we go.
1: Previous rooms may contain warning signals or an alarm, so the bad guy has time to prepare. The bad guys try to settle things in unusual ways, such as through a wager or a duel.
0: Oh, coaxing coaxing a, a honor bound party member into a one on one duel. Incredible. Steven, I got a patch on the back for this one. There is that session in Wyvern Squadron where uh you put our Jedi party member up against Anakin Skywalker in like a Jedi te- in like a temple and honor bound duel. We were trying to defend it from the outside. It was incredible. The, the, I think we were on Mace Windu's homeworld trying to find like his journal or something like that. Something stupid and cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was an incredible... Just the, having the duel on one part of the map and then us on the other part of the map trying to defend wave after wave of enemies.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. I almost forgot about that one. But yeah, it was um, I, I split the encounter. Uh, Lyrillus, the party Jedi, got sucked into a holocron or or something. Um, oh, Jedi had,
0: Temple shenanigans. Yeah,
1: just magic force shit and had to 1v1 like a dream Simakram of Anakin Skywalker. And so the good. rest of the party was left outside to just defend against waves of, like, just, I think I used some beasts. Oh, they were, um, what's that shit that slashes uh, Padme's back open? Oh, the, yeah, 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 Nexu. yeah, yeah.
0: Nexu. 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 I had, Nexu like,
1: waves, waves of Nexu, and I think maybe a couple other things mixed in there for you guys to fight off while Lyralis fought Anakin Skywalker. And it was a very, like, super crazy lightsaber encounter, because, uh, yeah.
0: Oh, we had some, it, it really, like highlighted the super cool reactions and lightsaber combat flow yeah. of the system. We had, like, it was, double triggering. Like, that was triggering. what Saga was Edition crazy. was for.
1: Yeah. It felt like a real lightsaber fight. It was it was really, really, really badass. Perhaps the lair is trapped. The bad guy knows what or where to avoid or can set off the traps at opportune moments.
0: Like Grievous in the episode Lair of Grievous.
1: Just like Grievous in the episode Lair of Grievous when they're in the Lair of Grievous.
0: Uh, It's called Castle Grievous or whatever. Oh, sorry.
1: (laughs) The bad guy reveals the big reward and threatens to break it or put it out of the PC's reach so they'll never collect it. The bad guy has a secret weakness that the PCs figure out how to exploit. Maybe he's an ancient sort of Sith spirit and his weakness is written in archaic... Stupid, complicated runes that maybe take a few rounds for the party brain to decipher. And maybe the weakness is literally written right up there in in the old Sith runes. Who knows?
0: It's like, oh, you got to take the dagger and put it back inside the box. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, like.
0: (laughs) I got to. I didn't turn the dagger 20 degrees forward and 30 degrees back. Oh, isn't that Rise of Skywalker? Maybe. maybe. I don't. I don't think there's. I know the dagger has like a secret map in it. I don't know if they have to use the dagger to kill. How did the team.
1: dagger? Because they ended up. With I don't want to talk. About, right. No, we
0: promised that.
1: That's right. We did promise.
0: <laughs> we, we promised we wouldn't talk about that glaring problem with the rise of
1: Skywalker. And room four, most important thing. Your previous rooms have used a mix of a few different PC skills and talents to to succeed here, but now your room four must use. All of them. You need a variety of skills and talents from your whole party to successfully complete this encounter here. And I mean, do we even need to give an example for room fours in Star Wars? Like, no, the Battle of Geonosis, like. The Battle of Endor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's so good, Stephen.
1: Thank you. Uh, What's a smaller one? Um, I guess even more specific on the Battle of Endor, but like Luke's final confrontation with Vader and the Emperor, where the big conflict there isn't just a conflict between Palpatine and Luke, between Jedi and Sith, but between like Darth Vader and Anakin. Yeah. The big twist in that encounter being, you know, Vader coming to terms with his feelings for Luke, with his feelings for himself, with his feelings for Palpatine, and making the... You know, active choice to betray his master and, and break the cycle of, of darkness forever. Asterisk.
0: <laughs>
1: asterisk. Yeah, the asterisk goes on forever there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess technically, force lightning was unexpected in that encounter because no one had ever seen it yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I, I've never considered that. Yeah. We don't see Palpatine using it just to like murk a dude in like the first movie.
1: Room 5 Reward, Revelation, Plot Twist Here's your opportunity to change the player's bragging to We came, we saw, we slipped on a banana peel. Room 5 doesn't always represent a complication or a point of failure for the PCs, but it can. Room 5 doesn't always need to be a physical location either. It can be a twist revealed in room 4. Room 5 is where your creativity can shine and is often what will make the dungeon different and memorable from other crawls in your campaigns. In addition, if you haven't supplied the reward yet for conquering the dungeon, here's a good place to put the object of the quest, chests of loot, or the valuable information the PCs need to save the kingdom, the planet, the galaxy, etc. As accounting tasks take over from recent thrilling combat tasks, this would also be a good time to make a campaign or world revelation or a plot twist. Perhaps the location of the next five room dungeon is uncovered along with sufficient motivation to accept the quest and and that's the secret that's the secret. If you can justifiably chain together x number of five room dungeons, that's just we just call that a campaign in the biz. If you can repeat this structure. Subtle, subtly enough you know with enough flavor with enough panaz with enough crunch like i know you can like i know you can that's a campaign that's all it is you know making a campaign is a delightfully intimidating and exceptionally rewarding thing and it's hard but if you can if structure if organizing structure is good for you if that clicks with your brain then this is what you need just a chain of five room dungeons perhaps the true identity of the bad guy is revealed. Maybe it's your PC's dad. Like come on, that's an easy one.
0: Or maybe it's your PC's mom, huh? Steven? Yeah, my, yeah.
1: <laughs> You're right, you're right. New clues and information pertaining to a major plot arc might be embedded in the treasure, perhaps sewn into a valuable carpet. I I wrote that here because it was a really funny example. Is that a reference <laughs> to something? Like I don't know. Drawn in the painting or written on a slip of paper stuffed into a scroll tube or encoded on a data chip. A trap that resurrects or renews the challenge of Room 4. This is my favorite. I've also used this one to great effect. My Room 4 in my first swissy campaign was actually killing the big bat, Like, for real. You guys fought Zeshkahet, a big kind of Sith spirit golem flesh monster guy. Um, you fought him. You killed him. But then the whole latter half of the campaign was chasing down and trying to stymie his surviving followers from resurrecting him, which was unusually easy to do. And that was really fun for me because he had this whole hierarchy of apprentices and you guys got to work through them backwards. And that was really, really fun, I I think, for everyone.
0: Yeah. And then we had to, like, go fight the 501st and and like get rid of his his weird flesh homunculus back on bits.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the other I guess the double twist in there was that when you guys finally stopped uh, his followers from resurrecting him the empire got a hold of his body and because he was you know technically a a Gendai, the the empire pumped him full of like growth hormones and suspended them in this big metal room on bis and harvested his blood for its um uh regenerative properties and I, i think also um if you injected his blood into someone else it made them force sensitive and i think so
0: they had to obey your every command something like that there's something about like droids that ran off his blood
1: also. That's right. There was echo droids, which were like dark troopers kind of, but they ran off of his blood.
0: Yeah. I'm still waiting for the royalty check on that one. Also like, <laughs> dark, like Steven, Steven did the dark troopers. It's done already. And then oh, don't fucking get me started on, on fucking. We have that Zeshka Het final boss meeting. And he says, I, fucking I love this one he says and where did that bring you back to me and then fucking two months later Infinity War comes out or whatever and he says the same fucking thing in that movie
1: I definitely can't take credit for Dark Troopers of course but yes I did manage to like write Thanos' dialogue in Infinity War a full two months before the movie came out we can never prove this to anyone but we were there and that's
0: when we knew Kathleen Kennedy had us bugged Yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh man. Yeah, he was he was a bit of a Thanos, but like with more uh uh bio horror.
0: <laughs> Cyber gore
1: Thanos. Exactly. It was cool. The object of the quest found reward, this is a great one, isn't what it seems or to be, or has a complication. Perhaps the kidnapped king doesn't want to return. I thought that was a really hilarious example, because I don't know. <laughs> just... Oh, <laughs> No, I like it here in the tomb. The, the, drag, the dragon treats me
0: really nice, actually. Yeah. I, get free, I get free crumpets and yeah. cookies and all sorts of shabs and jellies.
1: And this is easy with the classic Sith Holocron, too. I mean, maybe you were promised a big cash reward for the Sith Holocron, but it's inherently uh, corrupting an evil object. So picking it up is, you know, probably enough to fuck Yeah, your maybe shit.
0: one of the PCs gets tempted by the dark side magics of it and then. Ezra, Darth Maul. Yeah. Bon. What's the Bendu?
1: Oh, yeah. The (laughs) the Bendu, of course.
0: (laughs) Everyone knows that story. Everyone knows the Bendu.
1: (laughs) And when the party member becomes corrupted by the Sith Holocron, start your next five rooms. Right?
0: Oh. Oh, Steve. Oh, rooms upon rooms. Okay. Cascading into infinity.
1: Oh, yeah. The quest was a trick, perhaps by killing the dungeons, bad guy. The PCs have helped the campaign villain or rival everything about that. I love this from, remember, you know, the old uh, dungeons and dragons cartoon.
0: Sure. And then how there's, I
1: do. And like, there's two competing <laughs> bad guys in it. There's Tiamat and Venger. Oh um, yeah. Sometimes the characters in that show accidentally like hinder Tiamat, but that helps Venger or vice versa. Um, something cool to play with your campaign, especially it's great with like the Empire with like competing warlords or bureaucratic rivals, things like that. Sith Actolites and also Thrawn. Precisely. You can always pull something that, you know, it's always great when the parties in the moment like think that they're doing something awesome and maybe they are, but then, you know, maybe a couple of game months down the line, they're like, ah, oh, we never should have done that tomb. Now the Sith spirits roaming freely in the Outer Rim and fucking shit up. <laughs>
0: It's just a Sith ghost just coasting
1: through the Outer Rim. Exactly. Whoa. <laughs> and I, the true gruesome meaning behind a national holiday is discovered. Like, what
0: did you write that? I
1: I wrote that down because it was one of the examples given in one of the podcasts I was listening to, and it sounded kind of <laughs> random. Like I, again, uh, like, yeah, I like do, you, do you get a scroll that that uncovers the truth of the first Thanksgiving or something? <laughs>
0: That's that's just when you find out what the first Thanksgiving's about. Yeah, like just, <laughs> it's,
1: it's a really funny. It'd be a funny thing to include in Swissy, especially if you had like a die-hard like pro Empire Party member, like maybe someone who swallowed yeah. like a bunch of propaganda and then
0: oh yeah, 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 they
1: get a slip of paper that says Empire,
0: Empire Day, Day is when
1: we killed all the Jedi. Actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Empire Day is Darth Vader's kid's birthday, that bastard. (laughs) That's So what a weird flex for your boss to, to make your dead kid's birthday be the most celebrated day in the Empire.
1: Oh, that'd be a cool one. If you want to run like an Empire campaign that undermines like how much faith the party has in the Empire, you could throw in. You can mix in information about Luke's and the Rebellion's connection to Darth Vader.
0: Oh, oh my, oh my God. Did you hear the the second in command? He's the dad of the head honcho of the rebellion. What the fuck?
1: I didn't sign up for this shit. The, my favorite thing, my favorite part of the alphabet squadron books is that it digs into this a little bit. Like what would a average everyday rebel pilot feel about Luke and Darth Vader? There was a really interesting scene. And I think in the final of the alphabet squadron books, where, is his name Wes? Um, witnesses Luke burning Darth Vader on a funeral pyre. And he's like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that guy killed
0: so many dudes. Exactly. He's like,
1: what's with the reverence to space robo-Hitler? Like... <laughs> Why would you give a respectful, like, why would you put this much effort into respectful what burial? What the hell? And I really liked it because it was so different from, you know, Luke mourning and laying to rest his redeemed father. But the perspective of an everyday pilot was like, this is so fucked. Like.
0: <laughs> that guy, I, I was in the Death Star run. I was on the trench run. Yeah. He killed like three guys. Yeah. Biggs is dead. <laughs> <laughs> We heard him. He put on his he, he put on the fucking surround speakers and said, I have you now. Like, kid yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck, Luke? <laughs> well, some friend. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I love that idea.
1: Oh, man. Another good one is uh the source of an alien race's hostility towards others is uncovered, transforming them from villains to sympathetic characters in the story. The Killicks are good for this, the bug hive minds that like to hang out in the unknown regions.
0: They're just nice guys. They're yeah, just-
1: yeah. <laughs> They're scary and oftentimes pretty territorial. But you know, they they're such a different type of creature. Um and you know what, Sam, I honestly I made this new Killick friend. I I he's been talking about this thing called the joining, and he's been giving me this really delicious like nectar that he makes. I think you should come it's, over and have a whoa, talk. Whoa, with whoa,
0: him. whoa, 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 whoa. Steven. I'm not falling into another timeshare scheme with you. No,
1: no, 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 I no. T- this is way, way different. I promise. The looks <laughs> are a, totally above brow. Really nice. It's a mind
0: share. <laughs> yeah, it's a
1: mind share. It's not a
0: timeshare. <laughs> you just share a consciousness with them and you join the infinity of their whole hive mind. And it's pretty cool.
1: But no, I, I love adding layers of complexity to an enemy. And I mean, a little bit more than... A picture of the stormtrooper's family hidden in his utility belt like that's good that's classic but like you can take it one step further when you like add layers of misunderstanding these are realistic things that drive conflict in our real life like
0: sorry I can't. and here's the stormtroopers like house servant that he abused yeah <laughs> like whoa this guy sucks this <laughs>
1: And of course, the true meaning of the prophecy or the poem that led the PCs to the dungeon in the first place is finally understood, and it's not what the PCs thought. Maybe they thought it was going to be a haiku. Turns out it's a... Uh, mm, limerick. Yeah, Limerick. <laughs> no, no, no. Perhaps it prophesized the defeat of the big bad in the dungeon. Perhaps it prophesized an apocalypse triggered by them being in this dungeon. Who knows? You can add in whatever twist you want at the end, whatever sets up the next five rooms.
0: Maybe the prophecy was legend of a treasure and it turns out it it's not a treasure, but it's like a world killing
1: machine. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe a ambiguity in the translation of the word treasure can lead to all sorts of possibilities.
0: Um, I, I think it's a good example. Season seven, of the Clone Wars, when they rescue Echo on Skeko minor.
1: Oh Skeko yeah, minor. that was an excellent room. That's five. so cool.
0: It's so cool. The twist being like, Oh, it's not a, they, they don't have like a rule book of all of our different. Strategies. They actually just have Echo hooked up to a computer like he's some sort of flash drive that has a Windows install on it.
1: I love that episode where so they, they're going in for like they're expecting data. They're prepared to recover data. They're like, ah, oh, they probably have a server with all of our tactics. They're learning. They're, ra-
0: they're going in ready to destroy like bu- the building. Yeah, like- <laughs> they,
1: they probably speculate. I think at the start of the episode, maybe Anakin suggests or someone is like, oh, they probably just built a new advanced tactical droid. Let's just go blow it up. And then like fucking Echo slides out of the the server and it's like, I I remember the face Rex makes in that scene. It's exactly the face I was making when I saw it.
0: I mean, I'd be fucked up if it turns out my like one of my closest friends was being turned into like lunch meat computer.
1: Right. (laughs) And uh, another example I wrote down here is Final Fantasy. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have played Final Fantasy. It shares a very close lineage and overall creative history with Star Wars. Uh, the the two inspirations behind Final Fantasy were D&D and Star Wars. So, you know, maybe you like those things if you play Swissy. I don't know. Just a guess. But Final Fantasy has so many elements that are, that are seen throughout all of our favorite stories. And one thing you can almost always count on in every Final Fantasy game is after you defeat who you thought was the boss. Turns <laughs> out he was being manipulated by Shadow Mog, the manipulator, or like... <laughs> darkness the puppeteer and he's this big or, amorphous like <laughs> darkness that was actually pulling the strings the whole time it happens in every final fantasy game Gorgas, and it's great, the
0: housekeeper <laughs> no literally and it's
1: it's that's your room five right there like it's and it's a much harder boss way cooler boss theme like all that shit
0: that's great that's great steven yeah classic thank you so much for bringing the five room structure to us to the limelight of the Saga Edition podcast. I know we don't have a lot going on here at the dark time, so I'm glad you could bring us the
1: five room structure. We got plenty going on here. What do you mean, baby? <laughs> I don't know. It's a segue. I don't know. It's a segue. <laughs> Let's do the break. Let's go to the
0: break. Thank you, Stephen.
1: No, no, and no. Thank we you. Don't, we know, we're not thanking me. We're thanking No, me. yes, we are. Oh, okay
0: thank you steven but more importantly thank you listener for listening to the dark times podcast
1: yeah i mean thank you each and every one of you we see boundless support from all over the community from everyone um no one's been mean to us <laughs> <laughs> thanks um, for not being mean to us <laughs> everyone's provided fair criticism and generous compliments to the show and and it's it's been wonderful we're 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 always happy to have your support and, and patience. You know, we couldn't make an episode this week. I am currently dealing with a, a bit of a fever right now. And uh, honestly, I I just know that um that no matter what we do, you guys are always very positive, very supportive, and, and we're we we could not be more thankful for that. We're happy to have been with Swissy as it continues to grow and by jove, we'll be here as it as it keeps growing.
0: Fifteen years later, Rodney, we're still going at it. The 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 game
1: is still afoot. We love you, Rodney, and we love your we game. We love you,
0: Rodney. We're going to have you back, I swear. Steven, how can people support the
1: podcast? They can support our podcast in any number of ways, and only which relatively few actually require opening your wallet. You can mention us to your players, to your game master. If you do so and reach out to us, we'll, we'll shout you out. We're happy to do so. We always love doing that. Um, You can post questions to our comment thread on the Reddit. You can hit us up on Discord or our email at darktimeswissy at gmail.com. And if you're feeling like you want to go the extra mile for us, we've got a Patreon. We've got a $5 tier and a $10 tier. If you stay subscribed for three months on any tier, you're entitled to a free gift, uh, a sticker for the $5 tier, and a t-shirt and a sticker for the $10 tier. Um, there's also quite a few other goodies on the Patreon. You can vote in our build showcases, which we'll be announcing a winner for our latest showcase here very shortly. And there's also a few other goodies there. There's maps. It will be the future home of the dark times module coming soon to a Patreon near you. And yeah. All right, Stephen, before we go back to
0: the episode, I would like to take a moment to ask people to check out I've listed a GoFundMe for a good friend of ours, good friend of the show, who has trying to open his own game cafe, board game, RPG, card game. You think of it. He wants to do it. And, uh, you know, I just figured we'd we'd plug him on the show. It's a he's a good guy and he puts a lot of effort into into playing games with us every week and really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, Wes is a certified old head and is so dedicated, has really dedicated his whole life to putting games in the hands of people yeah like for fun like this guy is thoroughly dedicated just to having fun with games and making others smile and appreciate games and you know uh, he's got a really good plan you know I've talked about it with him extensively he hosts a weekly game night that me and Sam attend regularly and he's got a really good idea here and I, I, I think this is a worthy cause I've made a contribution to To his GoFundMe. And I I think this is a great place to put your money. If you want to see more good gaming out there in the world, because Wes is a legit guy and he's about to do something that, that the world really, really does need.
0: He is all about uplifting the community, his local community, and also those who the, the people who walk into a gaming store and maybe feel a little intimidated, a little unwelcome, Wes is there to help them feel right at home with any sort of game he wants to hook them up with. So please, you know, it means a lot to me and Steven if you could check out the uh, GoFundMe in the description. It's going to be right at the top of the page there. Absolutely. All right. Enough, enough uh, yammering. Let's get to hammering out the rest of this <laughs> Ooh,
1: episode. I like that.
0: Thank you. Bye. We'll see you in the episode. Bye.
1: Folks, I'm happy to announce the winner. Of our Lawmen Bounty Build Showcase Patreon poll. Again, Sam and I have no input on which one wins. We love them all. We love showcasing them all for you to build a collection of insanely cool Swissy stat blocks for all to enjoy. But our patrons get to pick a favorite this week. It's a tie between Lil Literalists, Nuck Chorus, and Nick the Flesh Devourer's Tor Rook. Congratulations to you both.
0: Stephen, this town just ain't big enough for the both of them. So <laughs> they'll have to they'll have to hash it out on their own. At, the right. at high noon. At high noon, there we go. At high rotation.
1: Nice. <laughs> Congratulations again, guys, and we will be coming back at you with another build showcase pretty soon. I'll give you a little bit for your brains to rest, and we'll we'll be asking for more builds. Heck yeah!
0: But first, Steven, we have a special segment
1: today. Oh boy.
0: Special guest segment from a long time listener of the show. Well, who is it? It's, uh, it's Jeff, GM Jeff from the Mongers podcast network. Oh, fantastic. Oh yeah. Jeff has, uh, has performed, uh, an eloquent 10 minute segment or so about jetpacks, how they move you.
1: <laughs> I, I love that title. That's
0: my, that's my, <laughs> that's my title there. Oh, that's
1: yours. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, Very, good. I, just, Very uh, good. I just put that on there. <laughs> no, it's good. Very good.
0: Well, take it away, Jeff.
2: Hello, everyone. GM Jeff here from the We Shot First podcast, a Saga Edition Donna Defiance campaign podcast. And today I would like to talk to you about flying characters. It's specifically speaking about a character that is equipped with a jetpack or possibly a droid that has flying locomotion. Two characters under my belt that are a giant pain in my ass. But that is no reason why you can't run on down. To your near survival gear store, and at the mere cost of 300 credits and weighing 30 kilograms, a jetpack, which is a propulsion system that a character can strap on, allowing flight over short distances. There are arm and wrist controls that are employed for maneuvering. Now, activating your jetpack is a swift action, and you gain a fly speed of six squares until the end of your turn. A jetpack has 10 charges that can be run continuously. With no swift action required to activate the jetpack on subsequent rounds of use. Routine maneuvers do not require a pilot check when you are flying around in your jetpack. However, if you move more than 12 squares, so assuming it's a double move in your movement, and land a pilot DC check of 20 is required. On a failure, you will fall prone. The jetpack can lift up to 180 kilograms. That's basically saying 360, 380 pounds while flying. Replacement fuel cells cost 100 credits. The fun part is, you know, mid battle, mid whatever, mid rim, to stop and get gas for one of these guys, not as easy as you would think. Which brings us to the next awesome piece of gear that I'm sure everyone would want. When you deny your players, or as a player, Ask for a Y13 YT-1300, because everybody wants a Falcon. They say no. Come down going, well, could I at least have a Mandalorian jetpack? Also found in Threats of the Galaxy, the Star Wars Saga Edition, in survival gear. Again, the Mandalorian jetpack weighs 30 kilograms. It functions identically to the standard jetpack, but has an integrated missile launcher. You've all seen it. That Fett guy, first name Boba, runs around with one. And one of my personal favorite toys, a magnetic grappling hook, which functions as a liquid cable dispenser. Just a pause there, because we have a Jedi that's exceedingly, shall we say, <clears throat> obsessed with his synthrope. Enough said. The Mandalorian jetpack is considered to have a military availability. They didn't really talk on the wiki or in the books about the availability of the standard jetpack. Replacement cells for the fuel, again, cost 100 credits. When you activate your Mandalorian jetpack, again, swift action, you gain the same flight speed as the regular with six squares until the end of your turn, 10 charges continuously, and on and on, pretty much mimicking the original jetpack. Again, if you move, 12 squares, DC20 pilot check, which I don't think we've actually done once. This is the problem when you get your players excited about something and get them to read all up on stuff. Funny how they never tell you about like the downside, like, oh yeah, I flew across the thing and i totally forgot to make a pod check at 20. But I guess that's on you and that's on me, GMs. Which brings me to my next topic. If they really, really want to ace this and not just be like a pain going, who cool, I have, you know, my, my jetpack has a missile launcher and a grappling hook and a fire extinguisher because, you know, cover the rocket jumper talent tree. Is very, very cool. Starting out with talent number one, Jetpack Training. You can activate a Jetpack as a free action instead of a swift action on your turn. You need not make any pilot check to do so. Next, we have Burning Assault, prerequisite, Jetpack Training. As a standard action, you can expend one of your Jetpack charges to make an attack with the Jetpack, treating it as a flame floor. That literally gives new meaning to, like, turn and burn because it's coming out of the back of you. You see where I'm... Never mind. You cannot use this talent when you're flying. I don't know. Could you actually... Well, yeah, no. (laughs) You just move away really fast, but that gets us to another talent. You are considered proficient in the flamethrower for purposes of making this attack. Now, that's really cool. They don't have to, like, go outside the talent and... Pick up the proficiency, as long as you're doing this one maneuver, then you don't take any non proficiency penalties while using your burning assault. Next, we have improved trajectory. Again, getting back to the basic prerequisite of jetpack training, but that's all you need. You always use the proper trajectories to maximize the efficiency of your rocket pack burn rates. You increase your fly speed by two when using your jetpack, so now you're looking at eight squares of burst or eight squares of movement. Should I say? Not too shabby. And finally, now this is where getting back to like, what if you're in the air and it's like, okay, GM, I want to do a turn and burn. I want to do my, you know, burning assault. The GM might say, well, if you have the jetpack withdraw, prerequisite jetpack training, once per encounter as a reaction, when opponent moves adjacent to you, you can expend one charge of your jetpack to fly and move your speed or withdrawal. And I think that's. Probably okay, you're not in the air. There's a cl- couple classic scenes with Boba Fett where he's facing somewhere and he just buggers off and he does that sort of straight backward and upward 60 to 45 degree arc. Just bye bye. Very cool though, cinematically, and you get to use the withdrawal rules. Now, there are some homebrew talents here on the wiki, which I will not mention because if you're going to homebrew in your campaign, that's fine, that's up to you guys. But we're kind of sticking with the basics here in my little presentation. Which brings me to the next flying menace in my campaign, a flying droid. Now, a droid system type coming under a locomotion systems, when you build your droid, if the droid can fly, we're not talking about hovering, that's something different with repulsor lifts, but its base speed, if it's small, is nine squares. If it's medium, like regular character size, is 12. So this droid already has an advantage over the six square Mandalorian or your six square Rent a jetpack at, I don't know, is there a moving company in Star Wars? That'd be kind of interesting. Hmm. Larger, bigger, also 12 squares. So a droid can actually fly faster than your standard jetpack-wielding dude. Now, the cost, you'd have to work out. It's 200 times the cost factor, and that actually is a clickable link because your cost factor is based on first, second, third, fourth, fifth-degree droid. And a bunch of other factors put in there that you have to calculate when making the droid. Times, again, the base speed squared, as in, yeah, four. Flying droids use engines of some kind to travel more or less wherever they please. They are not hampered by any type of terrain and tend to be much more expensive. But still, twice the speed, no charges. Now, your droid has to hook up to a port and charge himself every hundred hours, unless he's got the extended battery, but it's probably up to the GM and the player to work out. Because he has the engine, that should or should not use fuel. It's not stated here right away, but I bet if you did do a little digging, forgive me if I don't, I'm hoping that this presentation on flying and jetpacking characters has either annoyed you to the point where you will ban them from your campaign, or look a little deeper. Thank you so much for listening. Take it away, Sam and Steve. Thank you again, Jeff, for sending in that lovely
0: segment, Steven. Isn't that great that we're getting listeners to send in segments of the show?
1: Seriously, Rollmongers have been our friends for a good long while now, and we're always happy to feature their or anyone's stuff on the show. Thank you again, Jeff, and everyone out there at Rollmongers.
0: I hope that inspires at least someone listening to send in their idea for an episode or maybe even a recording of themselves doing a bit. Uh, it, we had that really good bit from the list talking about fire. And now we've got this great segment from uh, Jeff talking about jetpacks and all sorts of propulsion. Oh yeah. Steven, hey. do you remember that Epic foreshadowing from earlier in the episode? I do. And I'm a little scared. So yeah. It's come back to bite you. Oh God. Stephen, you've gone on for far too long without any sacrifice or, or repercussions for your actions. So it's back. It's time for everyone's favorite game. Name that NPC or I literally kill you. And I was just Uh, starting to relax. I know you were you were getting comfortable there, and I'm I'm sick of it. Sick of seeing you so comfortable with your life, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and you're living and stuff. And I figured we should put an end to that. Uh, This is for those who aren't familiar. This is name that NPC or I literally kill you. I have a stat block here, or in today's case, I have two stat blocks here. Stephen has three guesses to ask a question and then provide a guess. If he fails all three, then he dies, and I will be looking for another co-host in the coming weeks. Oh, my. Sadly, Steven, Zloy sent us a stat block we've already covered on this segment. Oh, really? But to give you a challenge, I've brought that stat block and an additional one for good
1: measure. Okay.
0: Surely, since you've covered the stat block before, you can handle it again. Oh, yeah, out.
1: guaranteed. No 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 problems here ever.
0: Zloy's stat block here is a CL9 stat block from the Threats of the Galaxy reference book. Uh, affiliations, the Galactic Republic, the Rebel Alliance and House Organa.
1: Oh, it's Bail Organa. It's
0: <laughs> is that your final answer?
1: <laughs> Wait, which, which source book?
0: Threats of the Galaxy.
1: Okay. Yeah. There's only one House Organa stat block and threats of the galaxy. It's Bail.
0: <laughs> that is correct, Stephen. It is Bail Organa. You have gotten it. That was Lois Statblock. That was the, that was like the. The the slow ball, you know, not the oh, fastball. Yeah. Well, the give me give ball. me the
1: give me the fast pitch.
0: Here comes the fastball from me. This is uh from the force unleashed campaign guide, affiliations the galactic empire. This is medium human noble one soldier four. Destiny points one, force points two, dark side score two, initiative plus eight, perception plus eight, languages, basic, Bachi, saran, dosh, duries, high galactic, solesties. Well, a well learned one, this one. Hmm. We've got the talent's armor defense, battle analysis, born leader, skills, gather information, plus eight, initiative, plus eight, knowledge, bureaucracy, plus nine, knowledge, tactics, plus nine, mechanics, plus nine, perception, plus eight, persuasion, plus eight, pilot, plus eight, treat injury, plus eight, and use computer, plus nine, with the feats, armor proficiency light, medium, and heavy, linguist, point blank shot, skill training, and mechanics, weapon proficiency and heavy weapons, pistols, and simple weapons. Uh, possessions, blast, helmet, and vest, plus two reflex, blaster, pistol, code cylinder, comlink, link, imperial uniform. Steven, do you have a question for me about the stat block?
1: Oh, this is an easy one, but I have a couple questions. What's the question? Did this character make an appearance in the original trilogy? Yes. Okay. Did this character make an appearance in The Empire Strikes Back? Yes. The stat block is Maximilian Veers.
0: Stephen, this is that incredible. From <laughs> such little information that the stat block gives you, you have gotten Maximilian Veers.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Good choice. Really good pick, Sam. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Let me read the paragraph here about Maximilian Veers. Maximilian Veers is a young lieutenant known as a strict disciplinarian who has a sharp mind and critical tone. He is unimpressed by incompetent officers and crew, no matter what their rank. He is cunning and extremely loyal to the empire, He's particularly skillful at using armored forces and notably walkers of all types. His prowess would ultimately be proven in the future battle of Hoth where
1: he perishes. <laughs> does he die on Hoth?
0: Why wouldn't he? Right. Well, they, they take guess. out that ACAT. Yeah.
1: Do they take out the one with him on it? They absolutely probably do. Let's see. Let's see. Do you think, does he,
0: what does Wikipedia say? Is he dead? See.
1: Is he alive or dead? Oh no. Yeah. He died. Um, <laughs> The snowspeeder flown by Derek Clivian crashed right into his, uh, yeah.
0: Imagine dying to a guy named Derek.
1: Yeah. He got killed by a guy named Derek. Wow. Um, oh, he canonically met Sabine Wren. Yeah. That's funny. Let's see. Yeah. What, um, what was his call sign? I'm trying to find his call sign. Also, Veers Walker was named Blizzard One. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I can't find his call sign right now, but he did fly with Rogue Squadron, so good. Good for him.
0: Steven, you live another day.
1: Thank I hope God. hope you're proud of yourself. Oh.
0: That was hard, throwing two of them at you, but you Very got tough. so quickly. I'm sweating. <laughs> that's the fever.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true.
0: Steven, do you have any trivia for us this week?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple. I'm looping back on Attack of the Clones trivia because there's a lot of good nuggets in uh, in this movie. <laughs> Attack of the Clones was the only Star Wars film to not get top grossing film of the year in North America. It placed third after Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. That's tough competition. I, I was going to say, can you blame George for that going up against Spider-Man and Lord <laughs> of the fucking Rings?
0: Not everyone can go toe-to-toe with the human spider. I'm just saying.
1: It's true. Especially not the Green Goblin. (laughs) Among the numerous auditions for Anakin Skywalker was Leonardo DiCaprio and Heath Ledger. (laughs) Dear God, can you imagine? Christensen was ultimately chosen. I hate sand. (laughs) (laughs) You know what they say about sand? (laughs) Rest in peace, Heath. Uh, And Leo. Christensen was ultimately chosen because he and Natalie Portman, quote, look good together, according to George, which, honestly, I think he's right. George was right on that. They one. look pretty good standing <laughs> next to each other.
0: <laughs> they do look good together. Well, thank you so much for that trivia, Stephen.
1: Of course. The
0: Dark Times, a saga edition podcast is produced and edited by me, Sam Stevens, my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at SWSE or email us darktimesswse@gmail.com. gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where we to your show. Uh, tell a friend about the show. Tell us you told a friend about the show. We'll touch you both out on the show. Steven, Steven, do you have a quote for us this week?
1: I feel like I can take on the whole empire by myself.
0: <laughs> Is that Derek?
1: No, that's Dak.
0: Dak, sorry. God, Rogue Squadron really was hurting for n- names. <laughs> Good night, Amazing. everybody!
1: Uh, buh, 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 buh. Oh wait, 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 wait. What? 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 what what what? Oh, wait, no, it's not for this show. Well, it might be. Um uh Derek um Derek's call sign in Rogue Squadron. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Um, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, never mind he he did fly Checking as rogue in. leader once, but um that was, he did not fly as rogue leader at the Battle of Hoth, obviously. Fucking
0: fucking that, hell, Derek. That went to a wedge. Yeah. Good job, Stephen. Thanks. <laughs>